Good morning, folks. I just, when we were at that just beautiful time of worship and being reminded of um, you know, opening our eyes, he opens up our eyes in wonder. And I, I, I thought of that great scripture where Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and uh, he appears in all his glory and there's Moses and Elijah there and the disciples like just overwhelmed and fall to the ground and... But then when it says, it says this verse, something like this, I'm not exactly right, but something like this says, when they looked up, they saw only Jesus. It kind of just means Moses and Elijah are gone now, but it's more than that, isn't it? They saw only Jesus. And that's my prayer. You know, even we have amazing uh, times of worship. We have amazing encounters with God, almost mounted transfiguration type encounters. Well, maybe not quite, but you know. But at the end of the day, it's only Jesus, isn't it? It's only Jesus that we want to focus on. It's only Jesus that this is about. And that's my prayer as I bring the word right now and we're responding to it, that, that we're just totally preoccupied with Jesus. So let's just pray. Lord, Jesus, we love you. And pray as your word comes, you open up our hearts and open up our eyes to see more of Jesus and and also to hear what you're saying to us, Jesus. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Now, I apologize for those of you who kind of had just about enough on the television of the coronation. So it went on long enough, and I apologize, well, kind of, to those who are really not into monarchy and don't like it, all that stuff. But I'm just going to use today, just one more illustration if I can. Sorry, there's some of you kind of... But um, from the coronation. Because I, I put it on last Saturday, and I'm, and I'm you know, quite positive about it, but I put it on just thinking I'd have it in the background while I did other things. I might do the ironing and so on. But um, yes, I do the ironing. Yes, I do <laughs> the ironing, Okay. I uh, didn't iron this shirt very well, though, if you noticed. But anyway, never mind that. Um, so I thought I'd have it on the background, but I got actually really quite hooked on it. I got quite captivated with it, and I just watched the whole thing and enjoyed it. And one of the things that occurred to me as I was watching it was the amount of preparation that must have gone in to all that pageantry, all the, the marching and the music and then the actual service itself for the singer. Particularly, I was amazed by the number of regiments that were marching in, in unison. And it's the preparation. And I heard the guy speaking about it on the, while he was being interviewed about it. It took six months for them to prepare all that marching and so on. And I thought, wow. The preparation, the choreography. And, and, and thinking back further, not just the preparation of the actual event, but the, the things that have been crafted for that coronation. Well, again, I'm sorry if you're not into monarchy, but Jesus is our king. And, and we are preparing for the coming of the king. Now, it's not, he's not coming for a coronation because he's already crowned with many crowns, perhaps the most important of which was the crown of thorns. But he's crowned with many crowns. This is not his coronation. But he is coming again for a royal wedding. The bridegroom king is coming for his bride, us, the church. 
And what does the church do in the light of that? Well, Ephesians tells us we make ourselves ready. We prepare for the coming of the king. And there's one sense, of course, in which we are always in a state of preparation for the king until he comes again. We're always preparing. That's why when John the Baptist comes, he says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So we are preparing for that ultimate coming of Jesus. Excuse me. I am dealing with a bit of a cough and a chest thing here, folks. So forgive me. If it, if it carries on too much, I'll give up and we'll just worship, okay? But uh, we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. Um, well, so we're preparing for the coming of the king. We're preparing for his ultimate coming, but we're preparing also for every time he comes among us. We need to prepare. And when we as leaders were talking about and thinking about this, this theme, this focus, if you like, of prepare, because there's a sense in which God is coming in a fresh way. There's got something new is going to happen. There's a sense of revival or renewal in the air, and we're just preparing. I was actually at that time reading books like Exodus and Leviticus in my kind of year's reading plan. And um, I, again, was really struck with how much preparation went into bringing offerings and sacrifices, the amount of animals that had to be sacrificed and the tribes were all coming in their particular order and all that the, the Levites and the priests had to do. And not only the preparation in terms of the choreography of all of that, but the, the craftsmanship that went into making things like the, the tabernacle. For those who are unfamiliar, it's like this like big tent, as it were, where, where God would come and dwell among his people. It was a symbol of his dwelling among his people. But there was all kinds of things crafted for this. And one of the things, as um, Sarah was reminding us brilliantly last week, was uh, the Ark of the Covenant. So it's just this sense of preparation for it. Before I say something about the Ark of the Covenant, this sense of preparation. And I know that now we live the other side of Jesus' coming and dying on the cross and rising again and pouring out his spirit. And we don't have to go to a special tabernacle or temple. And thank goodness, we don't have to offer animal sacrifices. This place would be a bit of a mess for a start if we did. But we don't do all of that. I know that. I know that when Jesus died on the cross, the, 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 the curtain in the temple was ripped. And this means not just that we can get into the most holy place, but he's come out and he's among us and he's with us all of the time in a very real sense. I get that. I know that and praise God. But God allows those stuff still to be in the scripture for our, to, to teach us something, to encourage us and to warn us and to teach us. And I wonder, what I was reading, I was thinking, it's teaching me, God, I don't want to take your presence for granted. I don't want to be casual about coming to worship you. I want to be prepared in an appropriate way because I'm coming to worship God the creator of the universe, my savior, my Lord. I want to be prepared. I want to give it that degree. Well, you know, that sense of preparation that you see there in, the, in those, those books of the Old Testament. Anyway, I mentioned the Ark of the Covenant and Sarah was referring to it last week. This is this special box that was built to, to as Sarah put it, God in a box, <laughs> um, which was going to represent specifically the presence of God amongst them. And inside the box, there was the tablets in which were written the Ten Commandments. There was the uh, pot of um, manna 
that God had delivered them and there was the Aaron's rod, Aaron's rod, which was like a stick which had been thrown down and it just budded and blossomed to show God's favor and anointing on Aaron. And it just represents that God's presence is there to instruct. God's presence is there to provide. And God's presence is there to anoint and empower. But on this box as well, there was what was called the mercy seat. And, and um, this represents, which we mustn't forget, it's only by his mercy and his grace that he comes among us and that we can worship him. We have no automatic right. It's only because of his grace and mercy. And the mercy seat reminds us of that. But that mercy seat was effectively a throne. So the Ark of the Covenant was a throne where God was to be seated among his people. It is, if I can say this respectfully, it's God's mobile throne. Okay, it's God's mobile throne. And it was placed in the most holy place in the tabernacle. But Sarah was reminding us that there came a time later on in Israel's history where it was being moved around. And in fact, at one point, it got into the hands of the enemy. And she showed us how bad things happened to, to those who did not value and honor the Ark of the Covenant because it was a symbol of the presence of the Holy God among them. And when it came eventually to David in Jerusalem, this is before a temple had been built. There was no more tabernacle. The temple had not been built. He, it was brought to David. Now David prepared, it says, a special tent for this Ark of the Covenant. In other words, Okay, he hadn't got a temple yet. He wanted to build a temple. But he didn't just say, oh, you know what? Shove it over there for now. Just stick it up there. Just stick it up in the loft. You know, you think of all the things that you've got up in your loft. And you know, where is that? No, we don't do that with the presence of God. Okay, we don't stick the presence of God in the loft while we get on with our life. No, you know, he built a special place for a tent. And then he, he had worshipers worshiping and praying 24-7. Because that's how special it was. And then, of course, eventually, David um, wanted to build a house, but God said no. And by the way, God says, look, you can't contain me in a temple. You can't contain me in a house. And, he, and just like with David's tent, it was pointing to something better in the new covenant. When Jesus came, when we could just worship him continually, we don't have to go to a special place. And God can't be contained in a building. But... God still wanted to teach them something. So we had David's son Solomon build the temple. And I want to come onto a, a scripture now which is about the preparation of that temple for the Ark of the Covenant. Remembering that the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God among his people. So we're going to ring, read from 1 Kings chapter 6. Verse four, reading from verse 14. It should appear on the screen for you. So it says, So Solomon built the temple and completed it. He lined the interior walls with cedar boards, paneling them from the floor of the temple to the ceiling, and covered the floor of the temple with planks of juniper. He partitioned off 20 cubits at the rear of the temple with cedar boards from floor to ceiling to form within the temple an inner sanctuary. Notice the inner sanctuary the most holy place the main hall in front of this room was 40 cubits long the inside of the temple was cedar carved with gourds and open flowers everything was cedar 
No stone was to be seen. Notice the amount of preparation. But then this key verse, verse 19, he prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple to set the ark of the covenant of the Lord there. He prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple to set the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant is his presence, so we're preparing for the presence. What about this inner sanctuary? Now we no longer have a temple, but we are the temple of God. Well, commentators and some Christian thinkers have suggested, and it's only by way of analogy, but it helps, that we, that the temple is kind of like the way we have been formed as human beings. So the outer courts, if you like, represents our body and our social interaction with other people because the outer courts was where you could interact with others. The holy place represents, if you like, our our personality and character, our thoughts and feelings. But the most holy place, which is what this place is, the inner sanctuary, is the spirit or the heart where we commune with God, where we have a sense of conscience, what's right and what's wrong, and where we make choices about how we're going to live. It's from the heart or the spirit, the inner sanctuary, the, inner, the innermost being, the secret place, the hidden place of the heart. That's what needs to be prepared for the presence of God. And I want to encourage you folks, Dan had this word that we need to prepare. What do we need to prepare? We need to prepare the heart, the hands, and the land. But it starts with the heart. Could you just turn to the person next to you and say, it starts with the heart. <laughs> it starts with the heart. <laughs> Some of you have got quite a shout, haven't you there? <laughs> it starts with the heart. My friends, if we're going to prepare for the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, it starts with the heart. Can I just say, I've, I've read a few books over the years, Christian books over the years, because basically it's, it's, easier, it's easier to read than to do the stuff that's in it. You know? That's one of the things that the books told me. But one of the, perhaps the most important book that I've ever read, I think it's probably the first amongst my books, is a book by Dallas Willard called Renovation of the Heart. I asked Peter to give me his, the copy of what he read to us earlier because I wanted to use it by sermon, and then I realized how small the print was. Uh, you must have good eyesight, Pete. <laughs> or good glasses, yeah. But it started, I can't, yes, take another look. I'm going to give this city a thorough renovation. This is the renovation of the heart. Our hearts need renovating before all else. And this book's called The Renovation of the Heart. Let me just read you a couple of uh, lines from it about... The importance of the heart. You see, the heart is so important. It's the heart which will determine the people we become and the life we live. He says this. This is a first line of the book. We live from the heart. The situation in which we find ourselves are rarely as important as our response to them. This response comes from our spirit. A carefully cultivated heart can, assisted by the grace of God, transform the most painful situation. It's not what happens to you on the inside, it's on the outside, sorry, it's how we respond on the inside, from the heart. What about this one? What our life, hey, things good and bad will happen to us, 
But what our life amounts to is largely, if not entirely, a matter of what we become within. And then the life we live out in our moments, hours, days, and years, well up from the hidden depths. What is in our heart matters more than anything else for who we become and what becomes of us. And then finally, the greatest need you and I have, the greatest need of humanity in general, is a renovation of the heart. We need to make sure our heart is prepared. That's why the writer to the Proverbs says, above everything else, above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. From it flow all the issues of life. So I want to talk about preparing the heart a little. Not preparing the heart a little. I want to talk a little about preparing the heart. Because <laughs> um, it might need a lot of preparation. After the building of the temple and Solomon's reign, sadly, one of the things that happened to God's people is that they split and they divided. Sadly, that's one of the things that happens a lot to God's people. They split and they divided into two kingdoms, into Israel and Judah. <coughs> Excuse me. And you find that the books of kings and chronicles are particularly about all these different kings of Israel and of Judah. And some of them, it says, were evil kings and some of them were good kings. What was it that distinguished them? What was it that made the difference between whether they were good or evil? Well, if we had the King James Version on our computer there, so I would be able to show you but we haven't, so I'll have to tell you, okay? But I think we'll put up the modern version there. Um, it says this, of one king, for example, Rehoboam, who was David's grandson, Solomon's son, it said this, he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. In the King James Version, ask Charles, he'll tell you, in the King James Version, he says he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He did not prepare. You see, we haven't only got to prepare our hearts for his coming. We've got to prepare our hearts for seeking him for his coming. We've got to prepare our hearts to pray. We've got to prepare our hearts to worship. And you see, nobody gets up in the morning and thinks, I'm going to do evil. I'm just going to do evil. Nobody gets up and says, I'm going to go commit adultery. I'm going to get up and go murder somebody. I'm going to get up and walk away from God. It happens little by little, incrementally, because of what's going on in the heart. And when we fail to attend to or prepare our hearts, it's, it's amazing where we can end up. And that's what happened with Jehu. He, he reigned for 13 years, the first 17 years, sorry. The first three years were great. But then it says he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Contrast that with Jehoshaphat. In 2 Chronicles, that was 2 Chronicles 12, verse 14, by the way. 2 Chronicles 19, verse 3, Jehoshaphat. He gets, he gets rebuked by a prophet called Jehu. He tells him off for making evil alliances. But then he says, however, there's some good in you. That's all right, isn't it? That'd be nice. Well, there's some good. You know, we've got some good in you. But he says this about, about Jehoshaphat. There's some good in you. For you have remembered, you have removed the Asherah poles, or the wooden idols, basically, and have prepared your heart to seek the Lord. Je Jehoshaphat got things wrong, but he finished well. I don't know about you, I want to finish well. I don't want just to start well, oh, really zealous for Jesus when I first became a Christian. I want to finish well. 
And even if I mess up in the middle, which I have, <laughs> and, and Jehoshaphat did, if we prepare our hearts, we can finish well. So the key thing, my friends, is finishing well. We must prepare our hearts. There's many things we can say about the heart. You look at the scriptures, it's absolutely full about references to the heart. From a bad point of view, you could get things like a divided heart, a bitter heart, a stubborn heart, a hard heart, an evil heart. But let's look at a good one, shall we? In scripture, you can also get a good heart, a pure heart, a steadfast heart. I like that word steadfast, by the way. You know when it says he prepared the hearts? In the NIV, you saw that it translated it set. And it's the same word that's used in the psalm, which says, my heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. It's basically saying, my heart is prepared. My heart is prepared. And it has this idea of being something fixed, set, steadfast. It's really, really fixed. It's not like my DIY, you know, <laughs> where the, the, the shelf is all a bit kind of wobbly, you know, or the, the handle comes off in my hand. You know, when I go to DIY, and it's never like it is in the picture book. It's never like that. It's always something. So I just end up going, oh, well, that'll do. That's, it's not like that. Whereas Barry came and done, somebody like Barry came and done, it'd be brilliant, it'd be fixed. It would be reliable. It would be dependable because it's fixed, it's set. Our heart needs to be like that for God. So, good hearts, steadfast, united, loyal, strong, gentle, kind, all of these things about the heart. But there's one aspect of the heart that I just want to speak about in the next 10 minutes. Um, briefly, I want to talk about a soft heart. A heart that is sensitive and responsive to God. And when I was preparing this, having a, a heart that is soft and preparing and, and, and not hard, it's responsive, it's, 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 it's sensitive to the word of God and to the spirit of God, something came to my mind which kind of surprised me. And I remembered when I was about 13, 14 years old, I went to speech and drama lessons. I was always interested in acting. So I went to, I went to speak, Mrs. Clark's speech and drama school uh, because I was a cool kid, you know. So, um, <laughs> no, I was, I was, you know, the, the kind of kid you're thinking about now, I was that kid. You know, I had a briefcase and everything in my, <laughs> I know, I was that kid, you know. <laughs> and my brother disowned me. But anyway, um, uh, so I went to the speech. Now, why do I bring that up? Because this is what came to my mind. In Mrs. Clark's speech and drama classes, we had to learn and recite poems. And one of the first poems I learned and recited, and which just came to my mind for some reason, was a, a poem called The Way Through the Woods, which is by, uh, I t it turns out, is by Rudyard Kipling, who wrote The Jungle Book. And I just remember the start of it. It says something like, they shut the road through the woods 70 years ago. Weather and rain have undone it again. And now you would never know there was a road through the woods. Why that blew my mind? Well, we sing a song, or we have done over the years, based on Psalm 84, says, the highway to your city runs through my heart. There's a road, a pathway of walk with God in our hearts. And I, my mind went to people who used to walk with God. And now you would never know there was a road. Weather and rain have undone it again. It wasn't big, evil, bad things. 
It was just the stuff of life, weather and rain. You know, just, just busyness, just maybe, maybe they got offended or whatever, or maybe they got overlooked, or, or just little things and debris and muck and leaves and stuff comes and covers up that road, that pathway, that highway of holiness that Alison spoke about that runs through the heart. People, and I'm not being critical or judgmental, but people who've, people who've led us in worship, people who brought the word of God to us, and now you would never know there was a road. One of my best friends as a student introduced me to the things of the Spirit and everything and the gifts of the Spirit, and a few years just later, he just walked away from God. And now you would never know there was a road, you know? And... It's so sad. There's a few things sadder than that. But it didn't just happen. Weather and rain, life, stuff, covered it over, filled it up until you never knew there was a road. Here's the thing, and this might be a bit dodgy. I'm sorry if you don't like this, but here's the thing. When you read on in the poem, you find out that there's the suggestion of its slightly haunted quality to it. And you can hear, if you listen, you can hear the horses who's on this road that's no longer there. And I found myself praying, Holy Ghost, haunt them, please. <laughs> These people have walked away. Can they be haunted? Is that possible? Is that okay? Is that really dodgy? Can they be haunted by the Holy Ghost? I mean, you know, have echoes. Let them have echoes of the path that they've tread, of the, of the feet treading along that road. Lord, I let them have echoes of it again in the heart and the spirit until they return to you. The... Uh, Um, the way the Bible puts it, that was just my little poem that came to mind, but the way the Bible puts it is this, Hosea 10, verse 12, break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes. Break up your unplowed, your hard ground, because it's time to seek the Lord. And I want to say, folks, it is time to seek the Lord until he comes. God is moving. God is on the move, and it's time to seek the Lord. Um, yeah, and maybe, I don't know. I'm just going to, you see, I've got, I've, by the way, I'm not going to do it, don't worry. I've got four things here that help to keep your heart soft. But I'm going to leave it for the moment and come back to it, possibly next week. We'll see. We'll see. Do you want me to mention them as a little trailer or shall I just, are you, you going to wait until another time? You want, to, you want me to mention it? Oh, okay. This is just the trailer. Hey, by the way, there's a great film. Oh, no, it's okay. No. The problem is if I start saying them, I'll probably start commenting on it. And, but I, I'll, I'll be, Number one, just the list. Okay. Okay, Joanne, I got it. I got it. Number one. Okay, okay. I don't want to give the plot. Yeah, it's true. You watch those trailers, don't you? I don't need to watch the film anymore, do I? Yeah. So that's true. So here, just listing it, and then maybe next week I'll bring it. Number one, ask God. This is how to keep your heart soft. Ask God. Number two, I'm repeating the same point that Sarah brought yes last week, but it's so important. Repent and confess, and get ruthlessly honest before God. What he requires most is truth in the innermost parts. Number, two, number three, be a constant learner. Don't think you've got that. Don't think you've arrived. Be a constant learner. And number four, 
recover reverence. Recover a sense of the fear of God and reverence. All of these things will help to keep our hearts soft. So I just want to say to you this morning, it's time to break up our unplowed ground. And it's hard to, and you know, many of you, I'm sure, I hope I'm like this. My, my heart is relatively soft. You know, I'm following Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm, you know, but there are still areas in my life and in my heart which I know are like clods of soil that need breaking up. There's sto- you, some of you are doing your gardening at the moment and there's stones and rocks <laughs> in the flower beds. You've got to get rid of them. I just think it's a time of addressing the hardness that's in the flower bed, if you like, of the soil of our heart because it's time to seek the Lord until he comes. So we'll do those four things maybe another time, but, but right now, let's just come before him. Um, Paul, would you just come, please? I'm just going to invite you to just come before God. And when we say we ask God, it's just, search me, Lord. Search my heart and know me. See if there's anything offensive in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in that road, that everlasting way. Help me to remove any of the dirt, any of the leaves, the stones, the rocks that have gotten into my heart, the soil of my heart. I want a heart that's open and soft and pliable and sensitive to you, Holy Spirit. And as you're praying that, maybe God's going to identify certain things. It might be areas where it's just familiarity, where you've gotten used to something that God doesn't want in your life anymore. And your attitudes. There might be just that other things have mattered too much to, more to you. Though. I don't know. You let the Holy Spirit tell you and show you. But I'm going to suggest we come with a sense of reverence right, right now before God. God, is, the King is among us. It's not just He's coming, but He's among us right now. And I pray that he will, by his spirit, show us where we need to soften and prepare our hearts for his coming. Break up your hardened ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes.